Welcome once again to Friend Day, and we're honored to have you in this special service. If I've never met you before, I'm Tony Van Manen, the lead pastor here at Centennial, and it's a delight to have you as our guest this morning. We are in a series called Running with Good News, and this morning our text is located in the book of Acts, fifth book in the New Testament, chapter 20. And if you turn that direction in your Bibles this morning, uh, or on your apps, or on your pew Bibles, or whatever you have in front of you, and I'd like to thank all those who helped in so many ways uh, with the Centennial Baptist School's gala and auction this past Friday night, and CBS is a weekday ministry uh, of the church, and I know that they're grateful for the support from this church community, and so thank you for yeah, for doing that. Uh, I know there's been some questions about the baby dedication Sunday coming up because last year we had one scheduled and then it got COVIDed out. Um, so it was right during that time period when we didn't have uh, in-person church. And so there are some kids who are maybe two years old or two and a half years old, and we don't really call them babies anymore, but they haven't had the opportunity with their family to be dedicated before God. And so any child that you want to dedicate to God, uh, that feel free to do that on that May 2nd, and make sure you just register for that. We have a special gift for every child, and we're so excited for each family that's a part of that. Now, before we read the text, uh, let me tell you a little bit about next Sunday. And I'm fairly certain uh, that you're going to be surprised by what I'm about to say. You guys ready to be surprised? Are you sure? I mean, you're ready to be surprised. Okay, I guess I should tell you then. Uh, you know, in many places on the globe, especially in Asia and Africa, uh, when you go to visit someone's house or when you go to church, uh, you take off your shoes before you go in the building. And it's a sign of respect. Uh, in some places where I've been, uh, they have shoe baskets outside the door. In India, when you go to church, there are just shoes all over the place, outside the door, right? You walk up to the building, there's just shoes everywhere. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to do something special, something we've never done before, and I think it's going to be a day you will never forget, okay? You're never going to forget it. If you are physically and medically able uh, when you come to church next Sunday, we're going to ask you to leave your shoes outside the door for the 11 a.m. service, for the morning service. Now, that is going to feel extremely weird in our American culture. Uh, you are probably going to experience a strange sensation at first, okay? Uh, but obviously, there is an important reason we're asking you to do this. It's not just a gimmick. And so that's next week. No Shoe Sunday, okay? And, and I can't wait. Uh, I know some of you ladies will use this as an excuse to book a pedicure this week. 
Uh, but men, please don't blame it on me, okay? Yeah, you know they'd go get one for any possible reason anyway. Okay, let's read here. Uh, in Acts chapter 20 this morning, yeah, this is a, a beautiful passage of Scripture for us to look at on this special friend Sunday. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this meeting that Paul is about to have with his dear friends is a last time I will ever see you meeting. Okay? It's a last time I'll ever see you meeting. Paul was headed toward Jerusalem knowing that this was their final earthly reunion. And as he met with the church leaders in Ephesus, he reminded them of what was truly important. And I imagine that you'd do the same thing. If you knew when it would be the last time you would see another person, conversation wouldn't be light and trivial. Uh, I doubt if you talk much about sports or markets or politics, the conversation would carry more weight than normal talks do. And, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know when those conversations are going to take place. The old Southern Baptist preacher, R.G. Lee, said one time, if I knew where I was going to die, I just wouldn't go there. But we don't know that, and we don't understand uh, the future and comprehend all those things. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I took a few of our kids on, on a Wednesday night over to see my grandmother, uh, who was fading quickly in health. And, I, and the family that was there said that she hadn't really talked all day. She's just lying in her chair resting. And we got to the house, and Sophie uh, started talking to her. And, and all of a sudden, Grandma woke up, and she pushed her chair button, and it raised her up. And she sat up and started having this conversation with everyone around. And Cody got to talk to her for the last time, and, and Autumn got to give her a final hug. And it was this very special time uh, because we knew that it would likely be the last meaningful talk we would ever have with her. And, and you maybe have had some final conversations that you can vividly remember. But there are a lot of times when we never get to have 
that final conversation. We just wish we had, and we keep replaying it over in our heads. Well, well, Paul didn't want to regret not telling his friends what was truly important. And so this talk today that, uh, that we look at in Acts 20 is a talk that he had with his friends in this last meeting. And we're going to see four parts of it. Uh, the notes are in your bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app. And as I mentioned earlier, kids, you have a very special kids bulletin today. Let's talk first about holding nothing back. Holding nothing back. And I want you to look again, again at verse number 20. He said, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. He's like, sometimes I came over to your house to tell you this stuff. And sometimes we can be so sensitive about each other's feelings uh, in this modern age that, that we set aside what we know is profitable as a means of protecting ourselves or others from emotional pain. And, and there's this fear of rejection and fear of the unknown and fear of conflict because it often takes a great deal of courage uh, to tell another person the truth. There, there's a certain amount of bravery that has to happen to confront issues head-on in relationships. And some people are gifted with uh, personalities where conflict is no problem to them. Bring it on, right? They, they thrive on conflict. They enjoy being in the heat of the battle. How many of you know somebody who loves conflict? All right, you don't have to point at them. You're just asking to raise your hand. I think we all do, right? And, and then there are people who shrink from conflict, right? They absolutely hate it. Blood pressure goes up, health goes down. Fears inflate, hope deflates. And if you want to be an effective friend, you have to be willing to tear down walls that get built up between you and another person that limit honest communication and authentic interaction. I was reminded this past week that the easiest time to tear down a wall is when there's only one brick, right? That's the easiest time to tear down a wall, when there's just one brick. Uh, once the wall grows and the bricks get stacked, it gets harder and harder to tear it down. And the best time to confront in a relationship is immediately when you sense distance between you and the other person. Whether this is in uh, a marital relationship, a friendship relationship, a a parent-child relationship, a sibling relationship, a co-worker relationship, and, and you feel that distance. And I know it's not easy, uh, but it's a whole lot easier when the wall is small than when the wall is gargantuan. And Paul said, listen, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Yeah, I, I was reading an article the other day that uh, one of our school teachers from Centennial Baptist School uh, had connected to or posted or something, and uh, it was talking about uh, the, the problems that parents have these days, uh, kind of confronting issues with their kids. And uh, there was a time 
where parents really didn't have much problem at all telling their kids what they should do, right? They just told them. How many of you remember your parents being that way, right? If they had an issue, they just told you. And now there's like, you have to have this big circle around, and maybe they'll get it, and we'll talk about it this way, and, and it can be a really tough time. Uh, and you know, it, it sometimes it, it causes anxiety in parents and in kids. Uh, when you tell a, a four-year-old child that he can only eat two cho- chocolate chip cookies, right? Even though he, he wants to eat 10, like, if you let him, he would probably eat 20. Uh, he doesn't know what's best for his health, right? He doesn't know how bad his tummy's going to hurt later, but you do. And some of you are such mean parents that you let your kid eat the whole batch just to prove a point. And he's never wanted a cookie again since. That's wrong. Uh, but, you know, in our society now, it's a tough thing, and, and many parents are somehow afraid to tell their kids what's best for their lives and their futures. And this article was talking about something as small uh, as putting tablets and phones away for a while and going outdoors to expend some energy. I'm pretty sure that that one little thing might cure a lot of societal ills, right? If we just, and we all did this, like put down our stuff and go out and take a walk or something. Uh, Maybe there's a lot of anxiety about having your kid uh, plug in a device at night or have that device go completely off at a certain time of night, which is what this article recommended. And you say, Pastor, do you subscribe to the article? Don't you trust your kids? Well, actually, I don't trust them at all. Now, Now, don't gasp too loudly, okay? To be honest, I don't trust myself either. I'm a sinner whose flesh will run toward temptation at any given opportunity. And if I don't have guardrails and structures in my life to keep me on the right path, I'll go astray. And if you're honest, you'll admit the same thing. And yet, sometimes with kids that are 12, 13, 15 years old, we put this unnecessary pressure of temptation on them because we trust them. And then we hope for the best. And that hope for the best can often bring them lasting damage. I was reading in this same article, it said that the average age for pornography addiction in adolescent young men has decreased, not by months, but by over four years of life. From over 16, 20 years ago, to 12 years old in the modern day. Because parents don't understand that it's not just a phone or a tablet that accesses open internet, but also game consoles. And uh, there's all these different devices. And getting some quality guardrails, it might hurt your kid's feelings for a quick minute. But it will protect him from becoming a statistic in the addiction numbers. And seriously... Why does your teenage daughter need a phone in her room at 1 in the morning? Right? Why? And I've talked to parents who say, well, we didn't set the right guardrails, and now it's too late. What can we do? Well, look, if your young person is still living at home, it's not too late. 
Get some courage and set some guardrails while you work through the failures of the past. Okay, but, but look, I'm just using this as an example, and I knew that that might get you kind of, because there's a lot of parents, kids around in the service today. It might get you in tune with what we're talking about here, which is the interactions with other human beings. And that example kind of paints the picture uh, of what happens when we hold back the truth from our friends or when we hold back the truth from our kids. And holding back nothing profitable is what Paul did. That's helpful. That's not always easy. That takes courage. I heard this thing about parenting one time, and it's so true. It's so profound. This guy said, we pray for three things every day for our kids. Three things every day for our kids. We pray for foresight, to know what's going to be coming with our kids as they age and as they grow and develop. And then we pray for wisdom to know what to do about it. And then thirdly, we pray for the courage to actually do it. Because here's the thing. Most people, most parents know the right thing to do. But they either don't take the time and energy or they don't have the courage to do it. And then they regret later down the road. And so Paul said, listen, uh, he says to his friends, it might not have always felt comfortable, but I have held nothing back. I have showed you the truth because that's what real friends do. Now, how many of you feel like that you have a friend who's a good enough friend to tell you when you have lettuce in your teeth, right? How many of you feel like if you don't feel like you have a friend that's good enough that at honest communication to tell you when you have lettuce in your teeth, you need more friends, right? Because if they can't even tell you about a particle of food in your teeth, how in the world will they tell you if they're worried about you having an addiction or a personality disorder or something structurally wrong in your life or your family? Listen, Paul, he dealt with this, and it's a, it's a very difficult thing, but he held nothing back. Now, let's talk about this second part, dealing with unknowns. Dealing with unknowns. Verse 22, he said, now behold, I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem. Now, look at this, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Dealing with unknowns. Life is full of unknowns, and when they arrive, we can either shrink into self-protection mode, or we can view unknowns through the lens of God's big picture plan. And we can either question God's leading, or we can trust in God's good plans for our lives. Check out verse number 24. He said, but none of these things move me. What things? The unknowns. None of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. It's such a powerful statement. Uh, If you look at the purpose that Paul has found in his life, he says, so that I might finish my course with joy. And he says, the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. 
And so Paul knew and trusted God's purpose for his life. It's so beautiful the way that God has let us know that every single person is made for a purpose. But the truth is, you can't arrive at life's purpose by focusing on yourself. Okay? If you want to know your purpose, you have to start with God. Because you were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. We don't use God for our purposes. He uses us for his purposes. And make no mistake, you are not an accident. Okay? Your parents may not have planned for you, but God did. Right? We were reminded of that in February of this year. Right? <laughs> we knew, knew about it before that, but uh, our baby Holland was born uh, in February this year, February 7th. And I, I won't tell you how old my wife is, but I'm almost 49. So uh, talk about God having a purpose when you don't know anything. Uh, that's how God is. <laughs> and look, you're not an accident. Your parents may not have planned for you, but God did. And, and Psalm 139 says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God thought of you before you were ever conceived, that in his book all your members were written before there were any of them. Now, there might be some illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children because God never does anything accidentally or by mistake. He has a reason for everything he creates, and every single person is made for a purpose. Living out that purpose is what brings satisfaction. That assurance is so huge when we deal with unknowns, with circumstances we never asked for, with situations we never dreamed of, with uh, repercussions from negative choices that other people have made and sometimes consequences from our own poor choices. It is so remarkable, so miraculous, that the big picture God of purpose can work all things together for good to those who love him. God can work negative circumstances for our good. He can work mistakes for our good. And when you're dealing with unknowns, put your faith in God's purpose for you. And that goes hand in hand with this next part of our message, trusting God for outcomes. Trusting God for outcomes. Now, we stopped our reading in verse 24, and I want to go to verse 25 now, and let's continue in the passage and, and get a little more as we go into this third part. He said, now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I'm not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not 
to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And uh, Paul says, listen, friends, uh, difficult times are coming. Difficult times are coming. And I'm going to commend you to the grace of God. I'm going to trust him for the outcomes. And this is so valuable for us to grasp. Because if we spend too much of our time attempting to control what is outside of our control, we will deal with worry, anxiety, depression, even despair. And most of the time when we have one of those things going on, it's because we're making an effort to control what we have no control over. There is nothing more frustrating Talk about a cause for mental suffering. Uh, some people are forever moping about their past. And uh, you may already know this, and you may want to write this one down in your notes if you struggle with this. You know this, yesterday ended last night. Right? It's over. You can't change it. No matter how much energy you expend on it. No matter how many times you replay it in your head, no matter how many regrets you feel in your heart, yesterday is done. Spend your focus on the present. The moment you're in is the only one where there's any opportunity for control. And even in the present, here's how it works. You do the things that only you can do and trust God to do the things that only he can do. And I want to circle back to this secret that Paul unveiled for us in verse 32 on releasing outcomes. And I underlined this phrase in my Bible. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And he says, yeah, I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know the one who can. I know the one who can. Now, secretly... Uh, I am a fan of old-time Southern gospel music. And uh, sometimes when I'm sitting and pondering something or studying, uh, I'll put on the cathedrals or, or Greater Vision or Gold City. Now, don't tell my wife, okay, because she does not enjoy that music at all, right? And sometimes she'll walk in my office when that music is playing, and you should see the look she gets on her face, right? I'm... I'm being real quiet because my small group is out serving today, and they may not even know that I'm saying this, and she's with them. So uh, I, I dragged her, when we were first married, I dragged her to a cathedral's concert in Dallas, and uh, we was at Prestonwood Baptist Church, and it started like at 7 o'clock, and they're singing, and <clears throat> yeah, they asked her favorites from the crowd, and they sing those, and they had intermission, and they kept singing, and I was loving it. I was soaking in every song like a sponge and, and hoping they'd keep singing till midnight. And I look over, and she was miserable. Like, she wanted out. She felt like she was in prison. <laughs> anyway, uh, back in the dark ages, the cathedrals used to sing a song <clears throat> called, I Know a Man Who Can. I Know a Man Who Can. And I'm not going to sing it, but I want to tell you the words. They said, I can't take a heart that's broken and make it over again, but I know a man who can. 
I can't take a soul that's sin-sick and wash it white as snow, but I know a man who can. I can't walk on the water or calm a raging sea, but I know a man who can. I can't cause blind eyes to open or make the lame to walk again, but I know a man who can. And there was the chorus then, some call him Savior, the Redeemer of all men. I call him Jesus, for he's my dearest friend. And if you think that no one loves you, and your life is out of hand, I know a man who can. And it's a great reminder. It's this basic yet profound truth. There are lots and lots of things that I can't do, right? There's just a lot of things that I can't do. But I know a man who can, right? And when you look at the mountain of trying to gain redemption on your own, Uh, It's amazing how in society we get these levels of people who think that they're all that, and they got education, and they got religion, or they got whatever. But the truth is, uh, you try to climb that mountain, some people may make it up five feet, and some may make it up 10 feet, and some may make it up 50, and some make it for 100 feet, but nobody can make it to the top. And none of us are good enough. None of us are righteous enough. We need a Savior. And when we help other people in relationships, many times it comes down to trusting God for outcomes for that friend, for that coworker, for that neighbor, for that child, for that grandchild. And, and you find yourself praying, God, I can't do it, but you can. And I trust you. And in our passage in Acts, Paul said, hey, I've kept back nothing that was profitable, and now I commend you to God. I turn you over to God because I can't do it. I I don't have the power to help you through this. I don't have the power to take you to the next place in your life, but God does, and I commend you to his grace. Now, I want you to keep going with me. Uh, Verse number 35, he says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's talk about this last part, focused on what really matters, focused on what really matters. You know, the words of Jesus that Paul says here are the path to real satisfaction. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Contentment is found in the giving, not the receiving. And when we live out this proverb, we find it to be absolutely true. Serving is ultimately more fulfilling than being served. It's what Jesus came to do. Matthew 20, 28 tells us that Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's the most important thing that you can possibly give another person? Oh, it's not a birthday card or Christmas present. It's not a house or car. It's not a collector's item or a vacation. No, it's the truth about Jesus. 
Peter said we should always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope we have in Jesus. And if nobody has ever been enough of a friend to tell you about that hope, would you let me just for a few minutes tell you? Because we care so much about you, I'm going to hold nothing back, okay? I'm just going to tell you the truth this morning. Have you found in society lately that the worst thing you can do in modern culture is tell the truth? Right? It's the worst thing you can do. Like, it's worse than actually doing bad stuff. I find in culture today that it is the absolute greatest sin is to tell the truth. So, according to culture this morning, I'm about to commit the greatest sin. You don't hear that very often in church from the pastor, right? Uh, the cultural sin that is so huge right now is telling the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There is absolutely nothing that you have to do to spend all eternity without Jesus. Right? You just could keep living. Your heart can keep ticking. You can keep going to your job and mowing your yard and going to get a Carl's Jr. every now and then or whatever you like. You just keep that up. And you're right on the path to spend all eternity without Jesus. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that every one of us, all men and women, are condemned already. We're condemned already. We're sinners by nature because of Adam and Eve. But we're also sinners by choice. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. As a sinner, you're condemned already. And on the card up here this morning, it said the wages or the penalty for sin is death. Absolute and eternal separation from God. And, and here's the thing about it. And I know this is going to be hard. It's harsh in our society because we live in a society where they talk about having your truth. And you do what your truth tells you to do. Can I just tell you there's no such thing? right? There's God's truth, and then there's lies. That's it. Those are the only choices. And, and you do not, because you're condemned already, this is hard, you don't even have to believe in for it to be true, right? You can believe that there is no God, but his word's still going to come true. You can believe you don't have to pay for your sins. His word's still going to come true, you can believe whatever you want, and God's Word is still going to come true because God's Word has never been dependent on any human reasoning. God's Word has never been dependent on any human opinion. There's no president or king or prime minister or senator who has ever been able to tell God what is and isn't true, right? God's word is absolutely true, and even if you disagree, it's not going to change his word one bit. And those who die in sin will spend all eternity without God. And here's the thing. You cannot possibly pay the penalty for sin yourself. You can't. There's no way to work the penalty off. There's no way to church it off. There's no way to religion it off. 
Uh, ignoring the penalty won't make it go away, right? It's like when you get a court document and they bring it to your house and it's a summons or it's a ticket or whatever it is, and you think, you know what? If I don't answer it, it'll just go away, right? If I don't show up, it'll just go away. And I don't know if you've ever tried that. Please don't raise your hand. It doesn't just go away, right? There's no way to get rid of this on your own, and you can't ignore it. And reasoning your way around God won't make it go away. Only through what Jesus did for us on the cross is the penalty paid. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the gift of eternal life can only be accepted as a gift. It's free to us, but it costs Jesus everything. Anyone, whoever, can accept the gift by calling on the name of Jesus And in fact, you can receive Jesus into your life right now exactly where you're sitting by confessing to him in your heart that you believe he is the son of God who died in your place and you believe that he rose again from the dead and wants you in his forever family and that you're turning from your way to the way, the truth, and the life. And if you did that just now, if you received Jesus into your life, you should know that he is the very best friend you could ever have. He is the source of life. In one of the most simple verses in Scripture, it's in John 5, or 1 John 5. And it's a verse, it's so unique because it's a verse with all one-syllable words. It's almost like God really wants us to understand this one, right? It's like this, all one-syllable words. There's not even any in there that are even remotely difficult. Here's what it says. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. It's simple. Maybe even too simple. But it's absolutely true. And I hope you know we're telling you this because we treasure you so much. We're holding nothing back from our friends. We're focused on what really matters, just like Paul was uh, when he met with his friends at at Ephesus. And that really, that's the faith challenge for today. The best way to honor your friends is to selflessly give them the truth. It's the best way to honor your friends. Selflessly give them the truth. Check out verse 24 one more time. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, we haven't finished the course God has given us until we've testified the gospel of grace. Did you catch that? Finishing God's purpose for your life requires giving others the truth. And there are a lot of other things you can give other people that may benefit them or help them with life here on earth. But we're not talking about life here on earth today. We're talking about eternity, forever. 
because we would be horrible friends if we didn't tell you about the most important part of our lives, Jesus Christ. There's so many things that we can talk about as friends, but if we never talk about eternity, we've done you a disservice. Right? We haven't done what we've been called to do. I've seen some interesting uh, videos from atheists over these last few years. And one of them is a famous uh, magician with the Penn and Teller group. And it's, a, it's an incredible talk. Uh, it's several minutes long. You can look it up. And they're talking to him, and they said, what do you think about, you know, uh, telling people about Jesus? You're an atheist and whatever. And he said, listen. He said, if that stuff is true, I would be the worst person in the world if I didn't tell my friends. An atheist said that. You know, that's profound. If we can't tell our friends about the most important thing in our life, how good of a friend are we? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to dispirit you. I'm just asking the question. Because Paul said, listen, I held nothing back. My ministry that God gave me is to tell other people about Jesus and to run with good news. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for our time together on this Friends Sunday. And we thank you for each one who's here. There's boys and girls who are here who are just starting to understand who you are and what you want for their lives. And and there are new believers and there are people who are just coming to faith and people who are still searching uh, to know if, if you're true and you're real. And there are seasoned believers here. And I pray that whatever aspect we're coming from, that you would help us to gain what you want us to receive from this passage of Scripture. May the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives and move us forward so you might run with your good news in days to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for coming today.